You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and you know what day it is. It's time to hear from Jimbo Fisher. The Aggies had a bye week. They're coming back into SEC play and will be taking on the likes of the Arkansas Razorbacks, who actually are one of the more surprising teams in all of college football this season. Plus, A&M moves up in the rankings. How high did they move even though they did not play? We're going to be breaking all that down here today. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, where a candy bar meets a protein bar. Go visit BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to save 20% off your next purchase. That promo code is LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. As always, make sure you're listening to the podcast every single day. Every single day is a Locked on Aggies type podcast day. And the best way to do so, letting us know what you're looking for, is to follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything I can do to help make this a more quality sounding podcast, give me a listen Monday through Friday. Also follow us at Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th Main related content found here at LOP. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. So, like I said at the beginning of the show, Texas A&M moved up in the rankings, even though they didn't play this past week. They came in at number 11 after getting a big-time win over Florida and then securing that victory over Mississippi State. Now, they are back in the top 10 for the first time since week two when they took on the likes of Alabama. Here's the big kicker, though, that a lot of people don't probably understand why this is such a big deal. The Big Ten is back. So now you have to include those teams in that conversation. So for A&M to be one of the SEC teams represented in the top 10 is a massive deal because it's showing that strength of schedule actually has played in their favor and the Aggies are still one of the better teams considered by the NCAA and the coaches poll going into the midway point of the SEC season. Now naturally Clemson came in at number one with the 52 most votes and then Alabama came in at number two with 10 votes. Then you had Ohio State, who got a big-time victory over Nebraska. Justin Fields looked exactly like the Heisman Trophy winner we all saw. Uh, Coming in at number three, Notre Dame, even though Ian Book is just doing enough to get by, they're undefeated, 5-0 in the ACC. A lot of people are actually kind of really shocked about that because that was something that I think most people figured was going to be a problem. But they go on to 5-0, and they are in at number four. Number five was Georgia. They didn't play this weekend, but they continue to have one loss on the year, which is to Alabama. So their previous ranking was actually number four. They moved down to now to number five. Oklahoma State continues to stay undefeated in the Big 12. They're the only team left undefeated in that conference. So the big question is, can they hold on? This is the team that has to represent the Big 12 now. If they went out, State is at least going to get considerations to make it into the college football playoff, along with the likes of a team from the Big uh, Big Ten or a team from even the Pac-12. The kicker, the big one of all, I think they put them in there because they are undefeated and they play in a more competitive conference than the Mountain West. Cincinnati is ahead of A&M, who A&M comes in at number 8. Cincinnati comes in at number 7. With 1,100 votes, six more votes than AM got to be that seven seat. What Luke Fickle has done, 
I think says so much volume about the program, about what the Bearcats are. And when you really think about Cincinnati, and, and again, I know this is an a podcast, but we can always go back to that in a second because we got 30 minutes today. If you look at the history of Cincinnati football, they've either seen a coach move on to greener pastures or they've seen a coach pretty much just up and leave. I mean, you look at the history. You have, starting off, uh, sorry, uh, Mark D'Antonio. Got a job right out of Cincinnati, went to Michigan State. Became a powerhouse for 18 years, was it? After him, it was Butch Jones, I mean, it was uh, uh, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly's been at Notre Dame for the last decade. And he's taken the team to two, one college football playoff and a national title. Then you have Butch Jones, who, again, Butch Jones, I get the jokes, I understand. It never really worked out, but he got a job at Tennessee in the SEC. Then you look at Tommy Tuberville, who came in next. Tuberville is now running for Congress, the Senate, my bad, in the state of Alabama. And then you have Fickle, who, in my opinion, was the guy who Ohio State should have hired over Ryan Day. I think that when he took over for Jim Trestle before Urban Meyer got there, that was a struggle season. He was young. He didn't know any better. Now he's a little bit more wiser, more mature, a little bit smarter. This should have been the hire that Ohio State made. Brought back Luke Fickle. Because what's going to happen now is Fickle's going to get offered somewhere in the Big Ten or he's going to get offered somewhere in the SEC. I'd love to see him at Vanderbilt. I think that what he's done for that program could help build Vandy up and make the Music City have some noise again. But he's going to get offered a big-time job. There's no doubt in my mind. If P.J. Fleck can go from Western Michigan to Minnesota and keep that program afloat by rowing the boat, Luke Fickle's 100% going to get offered that. Mike Norvell got offered Florida State after what he did at Memphis. You don't think Fickle, for what he's done at Cincinnati, is not going to get offered something? Yeah. But then there's A&M. A&M lost by six votes to get to that number seven seed. After that, you have Wisconsin, who started off the season 1-0. and They're going to be without their quarterback, who's going into a three-week COVID-19 protocol. That's a big loss for them. The Gators come in at number 10 after missing the past two weeks due to COVID outbreaks. Uh, they came in with 933 votes. BYU comes in at number 11, even though they're 6-0. and Miami dropped down from 11 to 12 with their 5 and 1 start. Michigan who came 1 and 0 is now at 13. Oregon who has yet to play is still at 14. North Carolina even though they got the win over North Carolina State dropped in the rankings to 15. Kansas State moved up four spots to the 4 and 1 finish at 16. Indiana who was not ranked and got the big time victory over Penn State. Jumps into the rankings at number 17. Penn State, that was originally number 8, who lost on a Air Penix. Michael Penix, watch the play. It's fantastic, guys. Um, drops down to 18. Marshall jumps into the conversation from 22 to 19 at 5-0. and 0. Coastal Carolina, guess what? The Chanticleers are real, and they're finally in the rankings. Come in at number 20. Southern Cal comes in at 21. SMU comes in at 22. Ohio, uh, Iowa State comes in at... At three and two, and number twenty-three. At three and two, Oklahoma jumps back into the conversation at twenty-four, and Boise State, who started off the year one and zero, comes in at number twenty-five. You know what's really crazy? It feels like this year has been going on forever, but now that it's coming closer to an end, 
Every day feels like I'm on the go, go, go. And it's nonstop hustle all the time. Maybe that's because I cover the NFL and I also cover college football. But between work, friends, family, and a million different social pressures, I have to be on the go 24-7. And sometimes I just want a moment to relax and hit that reset button. Probably like most of you do. That's why when I reach for my cooler, I always grab a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light wants you to know that no matter what sport is on this fall, Saturdays are your time to chill. Even if your team isn't playing this year, there are still plenty of teams or sports to caravan to and use the excuse to chill and drink a beer. It doesn't matter what sport is playing. Coors Light is the official sport of watching any sport for the Aggies. Just drink the beer, so flip on the channels, find a sport, and crack open a nice Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment is made to chill because it's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Literally, it means to chill. And with its crisp, refreshing taste as cool as the Rocky Mountains, it's perfect for a moment to unwind. I know I reach for a Coors Light every single time I get a few, a few minutes to myself, and I know you would like one too. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind, so you should hit your reset button with a beer that's literally made to chill. And remember, celebrate responsibly. Go to CoorsLight.com and get their new straight delivered to your door at get.coorslight.com. Presented by the Coors Brewing Company in Golden, Colorado. Guys, every single game day, you have to be ready for whatever comes your way. That's why whenever you're on the go, I recommend you use a Built Bar. Now, you've heard the Built Bar promos in the past about all their 12 original flavors. Now they have six brand new flavors, including uh, Apple Almond Crisp, including Carrot Cake, and including Caramel Brownie. Now, these bars are more like candy bars than they are actually protein bars because they're covered in 100% real chocolate, making them soft and easy to chew. They're great for someone on the keto diet like myself because if they can help me either lose weight or maintain weight. Plus, I get to indulge in a delicious treat. Right now, I start every single day, sometimes twice a day, with the cookies and cream bar. And that's because of it has 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs. Guys, you're not going to find a product like this anywhere else on the shelf. And when you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Whether you're working out or just need a snack to get you through your day, put down the salty chips and put pick up a sweet that is delicious to treat. Built Bar from BuiltBar.com. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson and the driver's seat. Talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, I'm going to on something. Do you love quality podcasts around your favorite sports teams? If so, why not listen to a Locked On Podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows plus every team covered. The NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up and win your fantasy football league this upcoming weekend. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen every single day because you know every single day is a Locked On Podcast day here at LockedOnPodcast.com. Texas A&M, they're back in SEC play this week, and whether you want to believe it or not, this is actually a really tough game for them because here's the deal. A&M has always struggled in the Southwest Classic. For those of you who maybe aren't so familiar with this podcast or aren't a true Aggie, the Southwest Classic is played every single year between Arkansas and A&M, usually in Arlington because of Jerry Jones is a former Arkansas Razorback and he wants to see his team play under the big lights in here. So I'm going to go have my boys over in College Station come up and play them. And the big thing is, is that it's always been a close game. 
since being played in Arlington. Well, that changes this year as the Aggies will actually play host this Halloween due to the COVID-19 restrictions. This is a game that's always played in Arlington. The last time A&M hosted this game was in 2012 when A&M picked up a 59-10 victory over the likes of, I think it was still then... Bobby Petrino was still the head coach at the time, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was right before Brent Bielema got there. But whether it is a struggle win or just a flat-out embarrassment by A&M, Jimbo Fisher's 2-0 against the Razorbacks, and here was his comments on how they best prepare for this game going into Saturday. I think they compete extremely hard. I think they play well together as a team, offense, defense. They complement each other, special teams. They're creating a lot of turnovers on defense. I believe they've created 13, if I'm not mistaken, uh, taking advantage of those, uh, advantages in some special team areas, and have been very opportunistic as a football team and play extremely hard, physical, very well coached, and, uh, play, very, and play together extremely well. There's two things you've always noticed about the Razorbacks when covering this team. And that's one, they have a good offensive line. That has been their bread and butter. That was what Brett Bielema was brought in for. And everyone remembers the year that they had, I think, five guys all over 295 pounds. They were one of the better rushing teams in the SEC. Uh, This was the one thing that Bielema actually did. The other thing is defense. And uh, I think, Jimbo, you're actually wrong. It's 14 turnovers. I think they have four fumble recoveries. But they do lead the SEC with 10 interceptions. They also are, uh, I think, leading the SEC in return for touchdowns and interceptions with three. Either tied for it or they're leading it. They're also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, one or two in pass deflections. They're number two in pass deflections. Alabama had a really good week this past week against Tennessee to where they got to lit their stogies and celebrate the victory on the third Saturday in October. But again, this is what... As long as I can remember the Razorbacks having. They were a very good run defense against against AM. Last year, they played very well against Isaiah Spiller. They played very well against Cordarian Richardson. They played very well against Kellen Mann against the run. They did allow a touchdown in coverage to Jamon Osbin. But overall, it was a very limited game. It was a very strong defensive performance that led to a few more good defensive performances. And that's something that I think Chad Morris never figured out was the offense. This was an offensive-minded guy who came in from SMU and was supposed to be this offensive innovator after what he did with Clemson, after what he did with Debo Sweeney, what he's done down in, in, in Dallas and SMU, and he never found his footing there. Sam Pittman, meanwhile, actually really has done a good job. I mean, and I'm not here to oversell the Razorbacks. That's not my job here. But it is a big-time victory for them that they finally ended their skid in the SEC in losses. Meanwhile, you do have a good running back in the likes of Rakeem Boyd, who's been limited this year. I'll give him that. But you also have uh, Treleon Smith, who has 221 yards, averaging 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, He doesn't have a touchdown, though, which is the only knock I really have against him. Now, like I said, this game is a lot different than any other A&M Arkansas game that most Aggie fans in the last 10 years can remember because of this is going to be played at Kyle Field when it's usually played in Arlington. Fisher had comments about what he thinks, how this game will react after playing his last two in AT&T Stadium. No, I mean, it's great. Anytime you play in Kyle Field is great. 
we want to play in Kyle Field. But it was a good opportunity, too, sometimes that you went up to Arkansas and played in front of your home fans. I mean, he had a great venue. It wasn't like that was a bad venue. So, I mean, but anytime you can play in Kyle Field, that's a great thing. And, uh, and we'll try to take advantage of that this weekend and what we do. But uh, and it was one of the unique things of – you know, having a rivalry in between and you have those things. And sometimes that's good for your team. Like if you play bowl games, learn to play neutral site games and things like that. It's almost not, you know, it's not a home game or it's not an away game. But at the same time, again, I keep going back. When you can play here at home, it, it's, it's a great thing. Look, and I understand what Fisher's saying, but you look at the history well before he ever got there, well after he will be here probably. This has been a struggle game for both sides. Now, this actually is probably a bigger game for Arkansas because of it actually made them look competent and heading in the right direction under whoever was the head coach. But for A&M, you're sitting at 3-1 and one and you're right on the cusp of being a top five team. Any slip up from any team in that, that top five, Ohio State, Notre Dame especially, Alabama, I'll even throw Clemson in there. I don't think Clemson's going to lose, but any slip up from one of those four or Georgia even, who is already in the league with one loss. You're moving up. You can't afford to drop a game against a team that maybe is really good, maybe is struggling. You don't really know. They have a victory over the likes of Mississippi State. They should have a victory over the likes of Auburn. And Ole Miss's offense has actually been competent. They've just been screwed out a lot. They got screwed at the very end of Alabama, and they got screwed immensely last week against uh, against Auburn. So, you kind of need that home fan basis. And no, it wasn't a far, far drive for Aggie fans to just go up to Dallas, which I think is about three and a half hours, if I'm not mistaken, from Kyle Field. But it's also only a four and a half, five and a half hour drive from Dallas to Fayetteville. So, you're kind of right in the middle when you break it down between these two which maybe played into the factor. Yeah, you're going to have to play a bowl game in a, more than likely this year, empty stadium, or at least a limited capacity stadium. But same time, you want to keep the momentum as long as you can. And with games coming up against the likes of LSU, against the likes of Auburn, against South Carolina, who is kind of the most undisputed weird team in the SEC this year, Having that momentum going into those games is always important. So that's why I recommend you go ahead and keep this game at home. And maybe if you're lucky, this will be the beginning of the end of the Southwest Classic in Arlington, which could actually help A&M out a ton with their overall record. Sam Pittman, what to make of him? Jimbo Fisher has his thoughts on that. And what to make of the offense that he's created out in Fayetteville. Don't go anywhere. We'll be breaking down what Jimbo Fisher's thoughts were in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat. Talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure to subscribe to the podcast here on Locked On Aggies. And make sure you're following us every single day. Every single day is a Locked On Aggies podcast day here at LockedOnPodcast.com. So Jimbo Fisher had some comments to say about Sam Pittman, who's been one of the more surprising head coaching changes in the SEC. And really all of college football when you think about it. Here's what he had to say known as Sam for a long time as a very good uh, offensive line coach, very good football coach. <clears throat> I've talked to him quite often different times in his career and bumped into him. I mean, I'm not a close, I wouldn't say a close personal friend, but I communicate with him and have a lot of respect for him and think he did a heck of a job as a line coach and now he's doing a very good job as a head coach. Here's why I actually agree with Fisher more than anything else. 
when you go out and get a special teams coordinator, uh, a guy who I've always wanted to see be a head coach in the NFL is Dave Tube. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know that, he was the OC. I mean, he was the special teams coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. John Harbaugh is a special teams coordinator. I think what Jim Tom Sula was supposed to be in San Francisco was an actually ideal plan by the York family. You allow yourself to have an offensive coordinator control the offense. You work in special areas of your position. And you allow your defense coordinator to call the shots. And if one of them screws up, it's on them. Because if you're allowing them to have a majority, if not all, the power. So what Sam Pittman did this past offseason was he went and he got Kendall Bryles, the son of Art Bryles, to be his OC. Now, Bryles, whether you like him or not, or whether you have anything due to what happened with his dad, he's been kind of an influx offensive coordinator. He had a lot of success early on with... um, uh, with Lane Kiffin at FAU. He then was downhill at U of H. He was downhill at Florida State. But he's kind of coming back a little bit right now as the OC up in Fayetteville. Then you go out and you probably get the best defensive coordinator on the market known in the SEC in Barry Odom, who recently was a head coach. He understands what to look for in defenses. He has built a team that was able to go to, I believe it was three bowl games, and part of that was when he took over for Gary Pinkle. He's been very well liked as the defense coordinator during his days in Memphis, during his days at Missouri, and now in Arkansas. So what you're doing is you're allowing the team to just run the way the team's supposed to run. Whether that be, oh yeah, I'm going to have a guy in Pittman have his ear in both meetings, but Kendall, you're in charge of whatever Felipe Franks does. Uh, Barry, you have the defense. And the amount of success the defense has had over the last year working with the likes of Barry Odom is... I think enough to say Barry Odom eventually, I think, could be in the conversation for a head coaching job again. Maybe not at a SEC or Power 5 school, but definitely at a smaller program if the defense continues to work the way they are. Finally, whether people want to admit this or not, because if it's not a great game year in and year out, it still is a rivalry game. Because the fact of the matter is, these two teams go way, way back, all the way to the Southwest Conference. That's why the name is the Southwest Classic. Because of the history. And Arkansas leads the series 41-32. A&M, though, is on the current winning streak of 8. I mean, Arkansas hasn't won this game in 8 years. But even though it is a, I wouldn't say a boring rivalry because it's not. It actually is really interesting. It's a game that A&M wins, but they win close. And Fisher actually brought that up about any single stop he's been at. How this can affect a team's momentum moving later on. I mean, you always have one. Because when you get in leagues with people like A&M and Arkansas was in a league together, you know, sometimes you like, right, I got to play these guys every year, so I got to figure out how to play them. So the fear of playing or the, or the stigma of playing, if you only play them every so often, goes away. And you, you get used to playing somebody like somebody at the park, and, you know, you got there at the park, and that guy beats your brains in every day, and he's, he's kicking your tail, and 
you know something, I'm going to come here and play, and I want to keep playing. i got to figure out how to beat him. So you learn how to compete against him. You learn the guy. You learn what he does, all those types of things. And I think that's what happens here. I mean, Arkansas and a and have played for so many years. They know each other so well, and, they've, and it means a lot to the alums and everybody else that uh, – you know, it, it just it becomes that game. And I've been – almost every league I've ever been in, I've had those. I mean, you know, NC State and Florida State was always like that. No matter what, even, I mean, it was always a battle. I remember when I was at LSU, Kentucky, we beat Kentucky one year, two years in a row on the last play. One year we won the SEC in that year. I mean, you know, it was just – I just off the top of my head, I mean, just there, there's been in every one I've ever been in. I mean, it's just the way it is. Let's look at this factually in the SEC. It seems like every year – it's a dogfight, or was a dogfight, when Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State against Alabama. Now, Mississippi State could have been an average team. They could have been something that was, you know, just kind of around. But it was a dogfight. They would be close. I mean, and it wasn't just the Dak Prescott era. It was before Dak even got there. I'll never forget the game as a freshman at Alabama. And I'll never forget the game where they beat LSU in Baton Rouge. And they struggled against Mississippi State the next weekend. Ole Miss is another team. I mean, you look at what Ole Miss does against LSU. That's a game that every single year I feel like, oh, yeah, LSU's going to come in. They're going to be ranked. Ole Miss isn't. Guess what? They're close. Last year, 58-37. And it was only 58-37 because the final quarter, they scored 14 points. Year, two years before that, 40-24. Year before the, uh, year 20, uh, 2016, 38-21. 2014, 10-7. Ole Miss, 27-24 the year before. 41-35. In 2010, 43-36. They're close games. And that doesn't mean every single time that Ole Miss is good. In fact, Ole Miss isn't that great. They've had two really good years in the last decade. And one of them... They lost a lot of respect for in 2013. That year when they had Robert Kimdichie, Laquan Treadwell, Laramie Tunsil, all those guys. They lost respect that year. Since then, almost been ranked twice. They've been a dog team. So games like this matter because of whether you would like to admit it or not, they're games that matter to the fan base, to the alums, And more importantly, they matter to the SEC because of you're bringing in rivalries that have been around longer than the conference has. The current conference has only been around since 2012 when Missouri left the Big 12 and A&M left with them to join. But Arkansas and A&M have been going against each other consistently since 1935. That's when the rivalry really started. You didn't really see it break anywhere in between until it was about 2009. In 1991, rivalry ended. Until then, every year. This isn't an SEC thing. This is a rivalry thing between two opponents who have seen the history of the schools, the history of football, and the history of the game build together year in and year out. That's why I always love watching Arkansas and A&M play basketball. Because I feel like that Southwest Classic is actually just as important as the one on the gridiron. That's good for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow's show 
we will be breaking down quotes from Kellen Mond and Dan Moore. What did they have to say about the offense going against this brand new Razorback team? And also, it's not been a big year for the newbies. Could this be the week it actually goes down? We'll discuss all that tomorrow. We'll see you then. And remember, we're y'all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.